Hey everybody, it's Graham and it's Friday, which means today we get to bring you another trending clip. This week, Russell Simmons. What you're about to listen to is trending this week on our Facebook page. Hope you enjoy. How did Deaf Comedy Jam impact you and your career? The first uh, comedy we saw that was Deaf Comedy Jam-like was Robin Harris, and we wanted to produce a show with him because it was not only his show that he had in Crenshaw, but it was all the clubs around the country where this uh, new group of comedians were emerging. And so there were great comedians all over the country, undiscovered, that needed exposure. So we thought Robin Harris would be our host. Robin Harris, unfortunately, passed. So then I went to Eddie Murphy and asked him if he wanted to host it, and he recommended Martin Lawrence. And so that's how it got started. And, you know, there was just a wealth of talent. There was a guy named Bob Sumner who was a talent scout, traveled all over the country and, and brought these people to us. We would have these showcases, and I'd be amazed at how many great people came forward. Jamie Foxx and Cedric D'Antana and Bernie Mac and Chris Tucker and Dave Chappelle, and I could just go on, so many. Kevin Hart and just so many. Tiffany Haddish and um, all of these guys, Steve Harvey, did I say Steve Harvey, there's so many that became giant stars after one performance on Deaf Comedy uh, because it was timing. It was these people needed their exposure and once people got a taste of it and it became a cultural phenomenon, not just the comedy show that we produced, but the comedy, uh, the thirst for it grew as there's so many talented people that were just driving the marketplace. You know, we probably did hundreds of, ep- over 150 episodes. How did it impact your business? The Def Comedy Jam kind of helped to reaffirm Def Jam's name. When Def Jam fell into deep debt, the name was so valuable that we were able to, and, and also some belief in us that, that we could come out of the hole. The name really meant a lot, and the company had cultural significance. Trump helped reinforce the value of name to you, right? What Trump did, and that's why it was Russell Simmons' deaf comedy, Jim. Trump said he bought the Tiffany building. And, and, and he's going to call it Tiffany. No, I'm going to call it Trump. And he talked about brand building, personal brand being more. So Trump kind of helped me with that, yeah. Deaf Comedy Jam helped to reaffirm Def Jam's significance. Because Def Jam was such a cultural space. I mean, imagine that we managed Big Daddy Kane and we managed... Um, EPMD at one time before we signed him, a nice smooth before we signed him. We managed um, Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and Eric B and Rakim, and we managed everybody. And Def Jam was the centerpiece. They weren't on our label, but we were better at distributing and managing and branding, and we were, we were the, the home. So all of those people are kind of Def Jam, they all wore Def Jam jackets. You're on another label, you're wearing a Def Jam jacket. You're cool. So Def Jam felt like the epicenter of hip-hop culture. And so when we got into debt and the company wasn't doing so well, we were able to, to stay alive because the brand was so strong. Selling your business. Uh, you said in the record business, companies that have deals like Def Jams with Sony always go out of business. Explain that. Well, I mean, in my book, I said that it's, it's true that they have a joint venture. They make money. They generally didn't own their masters back then. They just, you know, owned 50% of the profits. And, you know, they get cold. Like Def Jam got cold. It was the end of it, right? They were going to kill us. But the name was big enough. 
our resilience was strong enough. And we were able to, to take the company, which was, I think, um, 13 or $14 million in debt. And we got like $30 million. We ended up with 17 in our pocket and another joint venture. But the catalog that they bought, because they bought it, um, was, uh, was, was valuable. What do you think you learned from going through that experience with Sony? Well, Sony didn't want us, and Polygram did. And Polygram believed in our future, and Sony didn't. Um, so I, what I learned was, you know, there's always another buyer. You know, if you have something valuable, there's a buyer. Your company was out of money at the time. and We were you broke. Had no, we were $13 no million dollars in debt, and we found a buyer. I thought there was another buyer beside them, but we got them, and they paid a good number. And immediately, the company got it caught fire, right? So many hit records came after that and the company started to really excel. DMX put out two albums in one year. Jay-Z was hot, Ja Rule. So we had Def Squad, we had Rockefeller, we had Rough Riders, we had all these labels, Outburst. We had Murder, Inc. These are huge success stories on their own. And it was impossible to take just RLL Cool J, Public Enemy, whatever was on Def Jam, to the radio and those records. It was impossible. But each label had their own identity and each label excelled on their own with us managing and, and nurturing the, the, uh, the executives. What would you say is your biggest professional success? Well, finding Rick Rubin, finding Kevin Lyles, finding Leo Cohen, finding talented people I was surrounded by talent. It's very lucky that God put these people in front of me and around me. And so I've always had more talented people than myself. This is where my success came from. Before you leave, here's a quick shameless plug. Please follow us at Graham Bensinger on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat for tons of new content each week.